Good morning, brothers and sisters. Today in our gospel, our Lord tells us why he came into the world. He came into the world to set the earth on fire. And he says, how I wish it were already blazing. This fire of which he speaks is, of course, the Holy Spirit. If you remember at Pentecost, after his suffering, death, and resurrection, the first thing he does is call down the Spirit. Because the Spirit is that symbol of fire by which we truly come to life. And the nature of this life is typified in who the Holy Spirit is in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the love of the Father and the Son. So whenever we picture fire, we also picture like passion or intensity. The Holy Spirit is the love of God. And he wants that love to dwell within us. He wants us to be on fire with divine love. Now that's what divine love looks like. So that's the image we are meant to imitate. But this is the fire about which he speaks in the gospel today. The fire of his love. And he tells us he's in agony. He's in anguish until this is accomplished. This is why he came to call down his spirit upon the hearts of man. So that his love would be within them. And that love would be shared with one another. He wants us to love each other the way he loves us. But then he goes on to tell us something seemingly unrelated. So he's just said, I've come to give you the spirit. I've come to send down fire from heaven so that you have the love of God within you. But don't think I have come to establish peace on the earth. Wait a minute here. Doesn't love bring about peace? Isn't that kind of the point of love, to establish peace in our homes, in our families, in our countries? That's what love does. It brings peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace, isn't he? It's one of his divine titles, the Prince of Peace. But he tells us very clearly, no, 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 that's not why I came. I didn't come to establish peace on the earth. I actually came to bring division. Jesus Christ is divisive. And then he explains very clearly what this division will look like. In your own families, fathers and mothers, children and parents, siblings, you will all be divided because of me. How is it true that he is both the Prince of Peace and the one whose mission is to bring down the love of God into the world, and he's divisive? A lot of times to oversimplify the message of Jesus Christ, we just choose one or the other. If we like the divisive message, we just like getting into fights over our belief in Jesus. If we like the love message, then we just have to get along with everybody and nobody argue about anything. The key is the truth. The truth is always in the middle. It's the balance between the extremes of human position or opinion. The reason Christ is, by his own nature, divisive is because he always speaks the truth. And the truth is divisive because not everybody agrees. It's really that simple. You know this. You experience it at every moment of your life. In your marriages, when you're having a disagreement or an argument, why? It's because you believe different things. Siblings fight for the same reason. They have their version of what happened, trying to convince mom and dad to agree with their version. A good parent tries not to agree with either of them. 
But the truth by its very nature is divisive because the truth is precise, specific, does not allow for variations. And because of sin, because of the darkening of the intellect and the weakening of the will, I don't always perceive the truth, so sometimes I just can't see it. Other times, I don't want the truth even when I know what it is, because I don't like it. Either way, the truth by its very nature is divisive, and Jesus doesn't just speak the truth to us. He tells us he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So by his very presence, he is divisive, not because he wants to bring division. That's not the purpose. He wants to bring unity in love, but that unity and that love only exists because of specific truth. If you don't first have truth, you can't have love. There can be no love or unity. There's an old quote, I believe it's from Thomas Aquinas. He says, peace is not the absence of war, but the presence of order. Peace or unity is not the absence of war, but the presence of order. What does he mean by order? He means place for everything and everything in its place. That's what he means. That's what order is. When we talk about things being in order, that thing should be in that place. When societies or families are properly ordered, then he says there will be peace. Even if there's momentary conflict, that's okay. You just reestablish order. Once you establish order, peace is restored. But order is based on objective truth. Right and wrong, black and white, good and evil. A simple example would be the proper order or use for a hammer is not to brush your teeth. That's not its function. That's not for which it was made. It'll actually make things worse, not better. And vice versa, if you try to use your toothbrush to hammer in a nail, you're going to get no work done. All of natural science is based on this same premise, that there are objective truths and realities that we must conform to in order to find order, in order to understand the universe around us. Traditionally, this has always been the way humans think. We live in a society right now that is absolutely disordered. I mean, just from top to bottom, everything's out of whack. I remember growing up in the 80s when society was, generally speaking, fairly peaceful. People got along. Democrats and Republicans didn't agree, but, you know, they weren't at complete odds with one another. Things got done. I remember studying racism in grade school and thinking it was a joke because I couldn't understand how somebody could be racist. Because that's just the way I was raised. And yet suddenly, everyone in our country now is at war with each other. Racism has started up again. I don't know where it was when I was growing up. Clearly, this great division is being stirred up in our country. And, and not just ours, throughout the world. All of these more serious wars are starting up. Contentions between nations. How could it have been that we had relative peace for so long 
and then suddenly we're losing it once more. The reason will actually surprise you. It's not because things were well-ordered before when I was growing up. It's because the major philosophy of the age is relativism. You can have a false sense of concord, a false sense of peace, when you simply reject all truth. When you say, oh, it doesn't matter what's true. What you believe, what I believe, who cares? That's being lukewarm. The devil can mock peace in that regard, and ultimately that's what was happening in our country and in all first world countries for decades. Absolute relativism, which made us seem like things were getting along. Everything was going smoothly, no major problems. But what that relativism did was enable lies to be taught and encouraged in a society. It was a false unity. It is actually, you have to believe me on this, it is actually a good thing what we are experiencing politically and culturally right now, both in our country and throughout the world. It is a good thing. Remember, the truth brings division. The more divisive we are, that doesn't mean we're following the truth, but it means that the truth is trying to be discovered and maintained. A lot of people think you should never fight over truth. I have to tell you, I respect Islam, at least for one reason. Because if there's a reason to kill somebody, it should be over religion. Or what's more important truth than who God is, how he wants to be worshipped, and how we are to be saved? There's nothing more important in this world. If you're going to fight and kill, fight over that. Obviously, I don't think we should. I'm just saying that shows profound zeal for their beliefs. When Jesus talks about the fire that he wants to be instilled in us, that passion, I mean, imagine if Catholics were as zealous as those who practice Islam. I mean, I hope we wouldn't go out and convert the world by sword, at least not the way it seems to be done. Our job would be slightly different. To convert the world, we would go out and we would battle by sacrificing ourselves. Remember, that's the rule. Whenever there's a disagreement or a battle, there has to be a war. And there are two ways of fighting and winning a war. You can either kill your enemy, shed their blood, or you can let your enemy kill you and shed your blood. We know which way Christ chose. The way of God is submission, humility, self-sacrifice in order to bring about unity through the truth. And what truth is this? That this is what real love looks like. This is what real love looks like. So how do we restore unity in society? How do we come to the truth? Well, the truth requires order. It requires everyone and everything in its proper place doing its proper job. So whether you're having a hard time with politics or economics or religion, like there's a lot of discord and disunity in the Catholic Church right now, and it's scandalous. Of any institution in this world, we should always be the best united. But because of the words of our Lord, we should never be surprised by division. We should expect it everywhere where there is the pursuit of truth. So I have a theory about why, or I should say how, our government in particular should reorder, reorganize itself to work more properly. Now, 
Government, at least according to God's natural design, can be found in Genesis, the first few chapters. When he creates the first people, Adam and Eve, and he establishes them in specific roles in the family. Because the family is a microcosm of government itself. It's how a group of people are supposed to live together in unity and love. And if each of them understands their proper role in that unity, if they seek to submit to, to follow that role, the way God designed, then they will be peace. And peace will enable love. Without peace, there cannot be love. So when God created Adam, he gave to Adam his teaching. It was to Adam he said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. God never told this to Eve. Never told it to Eve. Eve wasn't even alive at that point. When he made Eve, the Bible tells us that he made her to be a helpmate for Adam. So Adam's got this job to till and to keep the garden and to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God places Adam in charge of creation. And then he creates Eve to help Adam do his job, to be a helpmate, to be in relationship with her man because he can't do it alone. He's not meant to. You know the old saying, behind every great man is a great woman. And that's typically true. Pretty much no exception to that. But each of those people have a proper role in the hierarchy of the family. God wants them to be fruitful and multiply, to raise up children, to create a harmonious and beautiful home so that they can raise up more children and create more people in God's image and likeness. That's the purpose of the design. So I have a theory that the Republican and Democrat parties represent, or at least are supposed to represent, those two roles in the family, the masculine and the feminine. It's clear throughout the scriptures and the teachings of the church, the fathers and how they explain this, that the head of the home is always the husband. That's God's design, that's the way it is. Sorry ladies, I don't make up the rules. But the heart of the home is always the mother. Dads can't do that. Dads can't love like mothers love. We're not made that way. But mothers can't lead like fathers lead. They're not made that way. I think our Lord, or at least one of the reasons he made this division of powers within the home is so that we would have to work together. Because working together is the very nature of the unity he's seeking. But if we, through temptation, try to usurp the role of the other or to misuse our own role, it doesn't create unity. It creates further division. This is the number one problem in any type of governing body. So, men, typically speaking, are more obsessed with truth than they are with love, typically speaking. Women, typically speaking, are more concerned with love than with truth. Now, obviously, we need both. An important rule in life is that without truth, there cannot be love. Truth must always precede love. It's an important rule. Even though love is the most important good, truth and order must precede it. You know this because when you're watching TV 
and an advertisement comes up for that thing you didn't know that you needed, and suddenly you're like, whoa, I've got to get one of those. Children experience this all the time, but even adults, it happens to us. Like, four minutes ago, it didn't even exist to you. You had no knowledge of it whatsoever, but this advertisement is presented in such an enticing way, and it gives you this idea that you need it, that this is going to make your life better and happier, and suddenly, your love for this item comes to the surface. There was no love a minute ago because there was no knowledge. You can't love that which you do not know. But the entire purpose of knowledge is love. Love's always the goal. It's the end. But we understand that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them in a specific order because the man represents truth. The will of God, the order of things, so that the groundwork would be established through Adam, so that Eve, who is the symbol of love, could be born, could be brought forth and live in the world. In our gospel, when Christ speaks about this fire that he's calling down from heaven, that is again the fire of God's love, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit does come down at Pentecost, we know that the church, which is the bride of Christ, is brought forth into the world. You have the new Adam, who God puts to sleep on the cross, and from his side, he doesn't take a rib this time, he takes blood and water, the wellspring of the church's life. And his church is born from his side, just like Eve is born from Adam. His love is manifested and poured forth to us in the life of the church and in her sacraments. The church herself on earth is the manifestation of the fire of his love. But it's all based on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The truth had to come first before the spirit could come. So for us in society, we have to reestablish this same relationship of headship and heart. Just as the man is the head of the home, the mother the heart of the home. So in society, this is my theory. Republicans represent the head, the masculine. Sorry, ladies, uh, Democrats represent the feminine. I'm just going to apologize right now. Don't, I won't apologize. Let me explain why. Let me explain why. Some of you I thought this morning when I was reflecting on my homily might get offended by that. But trust me, I'm making a distinction between Republican and Democrat leaders and just the people of the party. Generally speaking, when you're thinking about Republican citizens and Democrat citizens, what you'll find is this basic extreme difference between the two. Republicans are more concerned with simply what is right and wrong, who cares how it affects any of you. This is the law, this is the rule, this is the best way to have it, this is the truth. I don't care that it hurts you, get over it, that's the way life works. But Democrats, generally speaking, are more concerned with how rules affect people, especially the marginalized, the weak, the vulnerable. They become obsessed, I think, in a good way, with caring for these people who are suffering and struggling on the outskirts of society. They're always trying to integrate them and make them accepted and loved. That's a very motherly thing to do, right? Dads in their homes usually are all about, look, this is the rule and everybody has to follow it. And mom's always making exceptions for individual children because she understands the nuances of love. 
I think, in essence, the two-party system does make sense. I think it's God's design. However, we do know that they cannot have equal voting power. So this is my theory. Republicans should always have the final say in any disagreement with Democrats. That's it. That's what God gave husbands. I can accept that. I don't have a problem. But, ladies, you'll like this. Democrats get the louder voice. They're the ones who get to speak up the most about the concerns and needs of citizens. Now, I don't know how this could possibly be done in our society. I think we're just spiraling down into chaos and destruction, personally. But I do think this is the order of things based on God's design as revealed in Adam and Eve, as revealed in Christ and his church. Now, we can't change society or government. It's beyond our power. Honestly, you can elect all the right leaders, but there's really no such thing. And unless they're going to overturn a couple of hundred years of twisted tradition, there's really no way for us, mere peons, to do anything about that. But we do have the power to restore right order in our homes, in our parishes, in our local communities. If you really want to make change, you begin there. And it has to be manifested the same way that Christ manifested, unity. Because when he came into the world as the bridegroom, he came to marry his earthly bride, his church. And he who is the truth was trying to explain to his bride why things are the way that they are, how it has to be this way. But she wasn't having it. She refused. And she said, look, you either conform to my will or I'm going to kill you. And he said, go ahead. And he sacrificed himself for the sake of unity, truth, and love. This is what true love and truth require of us. Any act of unity and love in this world that does not look like the cross of Jesus Christ is a lie. Because anywhere there is sin, this is the only way to manifest truth and love. So in our love for our spouses, this is what Christ expects us to look like. In the second reading, the letter to the Hebrews, we're told that your job is to imitate Christ, but you have nothing to complain about when you have to carry crosses because you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding your blood for truth, for love. We need to pray for that grace that enables us first and foremost to conform to the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. Remember, truth must come first. And when we know that truth, we should seek to implement it by reordering or organizing our lives and our decisions, to conform them to that truth. If we're able to bring about order, then there will be peace and love. If we're not, then the second stage is required, that we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of unity. I would rather you kill me than be separated from you.
On our own, this is impossible. That's why our Lord has given us his sacraments. In his very body and blood that we receive in Holy Communion, we receive all of the graces and power that we need to do what he did. It's in the church and her sacraments that we possess the love of God. We are truly set on fire with God's love. And that's the zeal that he once stirred up in us. A zeal to go as far as it takes, to be as committed as necessary, ultimately to establish peace and unity in our families, in our local communities, and in our world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.